Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Be Customer Led. I am your host, Bill Stakos. So happy to have you with us this week. I've got a really cool guest for us. Michael Hinshaw is president of MCorp CX. Now, MCorp CX is a leading customer experience management company delivering not only consulting, but also design and technology solutions to customer-centric organizations. They're about a 20-year-old business. And Michael and I are going to talk about the evolution of customer experience management, what has been happening in our space, what is happening in our space, what differentiates companies in our space, and where it's going. So, Michael, thanks so much for coming on the show. Super excited to have you here. My pleasure, Bill. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. So, before we really get into it, Michael, I ask all of our guests just, you know, tell us about your journey. You go back as far as you want, man. Stories are interesting to me, stories are interesting to our listeners. I always get a lot of feedback on, on people's journey answers. And uh, you've got a really cool background as well. And I think our listeners would want to hear it. Well, I'll, uh, I'll move past the I was born in Southern California part. <laughs> now, uh, like most people that I've met in CX, there's uh, a, a number of different ways people get into these kinds of roles. And, and as you noted, mine's a little bit you know, atypical, certainly given the, the business lean that CX is taking now, as it should. Um, but my background's in design. I have a master's in in commercial design and uh, executed that in a number of different ways, working at ad agencies and the like, and started a brand strategy firm in the mid, you know, like 19, late 1990s, I guess. Sold that firm, probably about a 30, 35 person uh, company, and was asked by one of our uh, private equity clients if I'd be interested in getting into the internet business. Which I knew something about, having you know been in the brand strategy space. But uh, this was sitting down with the private equity group, saying, "What could we do that would be interesting in the internet?" So, with my background in design, growing up in Southern California, it seemed like a perfect solution that I'd go into grain trading in Canada, uh, <laughs> a business I knew nothing about in a country I knew nothing about from a business perspective, and had only visited a half dozen times over the over the years. But what's interesting about that is that really put me in a position of having to figure out when you go into a new market, how do you figure out what the opportunities are? And we developed something that at the time I, I called internally touchpoint mapping. And essentially, it's, it's a journey map you know, mm-hmm. uh, focused on touchpoints initially. And going into that market, I did you know, maybe 100 uh, you know, customer discovery calls with uh, farmers, with brokers, with traders, you know, kind of the entire value chain, trying to figure out where are the gaps in the market, where are pain points, what are opportunities to improve. And using that knowledge, we essentially, you know, grew to about a $300 million business in about two years. So it became the largest independent grain trader in Canada, you know, based in Alberta, uh, Calgary specifically, with offices in Vancouver and San Francisco, where, where I'm based. And the internet uh, crash, of course, took some of the wind out of our sails, and uh, we sold our assets, which are still being used to trade electricity uh, on the wire today. Wow. Uh, but that being said, 
that's really how I got started in customer experience. I took a year off after that and really thought about what I wanted to do. I've been traveling back and forth between those offices, you know, pretty intensely for almost three years and uh, young kids. And I said, I'm just going to start a small consulting firm focused on helping companies uh, serve their customers better. And that was 20 years ago. So 2002 is when we founded and I've been kind of doing the same thing ever since and slowly growing into a, a larger organization than I aspired to when I started. That's a really cool story. That's a really cool story. How do you, so let's talk about MCorp for a sec, of course, so you excuse me for a second. You know, what type of work, I mean, I, at a high level, I kind of, you know, yeah. you know, cruised over it at the top of the show, but like, what type of work are you guys really doing? Like, where is the sweet spot for you? Not only just in t- terms of the work, maybe, but also in like type of clients too. Yeah. So we, I mean, conceptually, we help clients in three key areas <laughs> and, uh, any one of them can be entry points and it can be more advanced or less advanced. But the first key area is building customer experience management capabilities. And that includes everything from defining strategy to designing and enabling internal CX teams. Uh, in some cases, staffing those CX teams and helping them find and hire the right people to come in, helping you know, senior executives understand the value of CX and how that fits. The second key area is experience improvement, and that's more the typical journey mapping, persona development, segmentation, customer understanding, things of that nature. And that can you know, include like end-to-end, you know, top above brand journeys, all the way down to we have a digital experience that customers have told us is a problem. How do we fix it? So a pretty wide range there, but it's all around improving specific experiences. And the third area, which is a more recent big lean in for us, is the tech side of it. And that's really voice of customer. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not just the listening, it's the metrics, measurement, you know, building architectures and uh, helping us to essentially help our client organizations figure out how do we enable voice of customer at scale and actually take action on it on a regular basis. And that's something we've dabbled in. I think we've done about 90 the last number I got was 92 VOC implementations since we started, and we decided to make that a formal practice and, and partner with uh, some of the leading technology companies uh, in that space to make it happen. Cool, cool. I, you know, standing up something as foundational of that is so critical to the work. Getting it right is hard. Being able to action on all that is even harder, right? Because then you're just talking about culture change. You're not necessarily yep. just saying, "Here's a piece of insight, go change something." It really comes down to the way you're companies, culture operates, the work norms, but then also the way you're organized as well, which I don't think a lot of companies realize and have sort of the stomach to invest in sometimes. I mean, it, it, it links back you know, to the value of customer experience all up and, yeah. and, and how you essentially tie it to what the business is trying to accomplish. And I think there's, there's a pretty big gap there for, for many organizations. So let's talk about sort of the term customer experience for a little bit. It's taken probably so many twists and turns. I've been in this space as long as you have, you know, over those 20 years, it's morphed in a hundred different ways. How do you define it? I've got three questions for you, actually. One, how do you define it? Mm -hmm. Two, where do you think it should sit in an organization or where maybe have you seen it most successfully from an organizational structure perspective? And then what type of leader do you feel typically has the most success? So pretty quickly, uh, I'll kind of start at the top. Uh, Customer experience. Customer experience isn't something that organizations really control because that's ultimately how customers perceive their interactions with the company. So we talk about customer experience. Essentially, it lives between the ears of our customers. 
Customer experience management, however, that is something organizations can, can do and can control. So if you want to improve customer experience, you've got to radically improve your ability to manage to manage those experiences. And that's essentially you know, the capabilities, the processes, technology, et cetera, that organizations use to systematically design, deliver, and then react to customer interactions. So you know, we get asked about what customer experience is a lot, and we, we make that clear distinction for a very specific reason, because customer experience, as a, as a phrase, in our opinion, anyhow, isn't how the organization manages it. The question is, how do you actually do things as an organization that is going to change the way customers perceive their interactions? So improving the experience by managing it better. The, the second question is where it sits. I don't know if there's any one right place. Uh, you know, it's different for different organizations and different cultures and different operating models. Uh, oftentimes, we'll see it as a standalone. Uh, increasingly, years ago, started almost always in marketing, but CX stands alone now. We've seen standalone. Sorry, so I didn't mean to interrupt you, Michael. But standalone oh, yeah, meaning no. like there's a CX leader reporting to like the CEO, yes. or okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to a CX leader reporting up to the CMO, reporting up to the right, and that's relatively new. Looking like, in the last five five to seven years, that's become a, a much you know, bigger percentage of uh, CX teams, but at the same time. We've also seen CX start in IT in a couple of very large organizations, uh, specifically Microsoft and Lululemon, where we were brought in by their IT groups to actually you know, start looking at experience because IT has their essentially fingers in the, the digital footprint of the entire organization. And of course, it expands from there. But yeah, there's no one answer, one right place that, that we've seen. So th- that's one of those, it depends answers, right? Typical consultant, thank you very much. classic response but you know i get that question a lot myself michael and that's i love asking this because i want to get different perspectives on it the one thing i'm seeing a lot interestingly is strategy and cx teams coming together as one and then i'm seeing a lot more cx teams rolling going into the coo so make taking like a little bit more of an operational view to the work as well Uh, and i agree it depends on the company and where they are in their journey too right yeah, and that's what I was mentioning. You know, the operations piece of it is something that has been less typical. We brought in, we've been brought in by operations maybe four or five times, and then helped them to stand up uh, CX CX groups or teams. Sometimes they stay there, sometimes they shift other parts of the organization, you know, sideways up. But yeah, to your point, a lot of it has to do with the maturity of the organization as well as the the characteristics of the leaders inside the organization. Interesting. And speaking of leadership in this space. Are there some things that you've been able to kind of glean or identify as like really like critical for a CX leader or CXO, whoever that might be, you know, what types of qualities or or skills have you seen the most successful ones kind of exhibit? So typically, and again, there's no right one right answer. Although, you know, I have had a couple of religious type conversations with folks on this subject over the years as I'm sure you have also, but most CX organizations don't control P&Ls or big budgets, uh, right? So I don't want to blanket say all of them, but the majority, at least in my experience, don't. And what that means is that CX as a discipline uh, requires a leader that understands how to work across the organization. So it's really an influence role. And the kinds of things we've seen be you know, most successful are you know, collaborative, great communicators, good team and consensus builders. Because if you're trying to convince somebody to spend their budget on your idea, you need to figure out. How, and by the way, when you're 
pulling budget from one person, you're actually going to cause three different groups in the organization to have to change the way they operate in some manner. You can't do that with a dictate if you're not uh, you know, at the very top of the company, typically. So it's proving the value of what you're doing. It's bringing others along and it's helping the cross-organization uh, stakeholders not only understand what you're doing, but embrace it, support it, and, and actually drive it. So I, that, that point resonates with me so much, Michael. Um, not too long ago, I was speaking to uh, head of CX. They were head of the contact center, doing a great job, strong leader. I mean, clearly, very, very bright person. And uh, they were failing in their role. And the, you know, it, it was actually reporting into the, the CMO. And, um, or they thought they were failing in their role. They gave me a call and like, hey, I'd love just your perspective. And they never really had to work across. And that was like the biggest thing. And we had a long discussion about what that means, you know, places they can go to, you know, upskill, you know, train, talk to people, et cetera. But I, that, that ability to influence and engage across is so, you can't, I can't put enough uh, emphasis on it. Michael, when you think about sort of the, the core tenets of CX, I mean, there's a lot of conversation I feel like I'm reading just out there in in the web. Here are like the four key elements or five key elements or top three things that you have to do, blah, blah, blah. From your perspective, when you're working with clients, you know, what are some of those core tenants that you all like to, to follow and that you've seen work over your 20 years, if, if you think they really exist? Well, the short answer is absolutely yes. We have eight, right? Some have six, some have five, some have three. But probably 10 years ago, we really started consolidating um, the capabilities that we've seen client organizations really leverage to nail it with customer experience. And there's a, you know, kind of a core set that there's that span two different kind of buckets. One of them is, you know, what are the capabilities organizations new, need to develop better experiences? And it's strategy, right? It's, it's everything from Design principles, North Star, how you organize CX, the experiences that you want your you know customers to have all up, and then you know at the persona level, what's that strategy? Customer understanding because you can't design experiences for customers you don't understand, and you need design capability. How do, knowing what our strategy is and knowing our customers and what they want and need, how do we design experiences that meet those needs? And that's great, and you can do that exceedingly well. But if you don't have the other five capabilities, then those great designs are, are never going to see the light of day. Or if they do, they're not going to drive the kind of results that they could. And that's the governance. You know, how do you manage? How do you prioritize? Mm-hmm. A big part of governance is prioritization, right? There's you know, a line that I've been using for years. And even though it's worn out, it's still true, I think. There's a, a thousand things that you have to do, a hundred things you must, and 10 you can. So as a CX leader, as a governance board, you need to be able to have the frameworks to allow you to decide where do you place your bets and where you're going to get the greatest possible bang for your buck. Organization and culture. Right? So as a company, what is it that we need to you know, think? Uh, what is it we need to do differently to better serve customers? You know, it's the ways of thinking and working that are shifting. Measurement, you know, something I assume is, uh, I'm all certain is near and dear to your heart as well. You know, how do you know how well you've done? If you've turned the dial, did you turn it the right direction? Did you turn it high enough? Tech and data, of course, that enables all this stuff and your processes. What are your systems? So all those things together. And, and by the way, we've seen these things work in almost actually in every industry we've worked in. And virtually every organization we've worked with has some of these things in place already. You know, like, for example, the governance piece of it, you don't want to stand this stuff all up as a separate 
system. You need to make it part of your operating model. So if you've got a PMO, for example, well, how do you leverage your existing governance models, your existing uh, PMO, and put a CX governance component in that rather than trying to start something new? So it's understanding how these capabilities are currently structured in organization and those things you need to do to either increase maturity or to leverage existing capabilities to deliver great experiences consistently and systematically. I love your point around don't necessarily create something new. I feel like there there's so much energy that goes behind this, you know, customer experience broadly and employee experience for that matter, that there's this need to create a completely new team, completely new processes, et cetera. And from a change perspective, that is super hard. And a lot of times I see I see customer experience initiatives or programs or teams or, you know, functions, whatever you want to call it, fail because of they didn't say, hey, let's just take what we've got today and figure out how to make it work better and instill CX into this stuff. And uh, you ask a lot of people uh, when uh, you're saying, hey, we've been working like this for the last 10, 15 years. What we, now you've got to do this completely new thing you've never heard of or don't know anything about. And by the uh, way, I need you know X millions of dollars to stand yeah. it up and a whole new, <laughs> whole new head count. <laughs> they love that. <laughs> oh, man. Right. And I need like a couple million bucks in technology too at the same time. That's really funny. I, I really do. I mean, sincerely, I really do love that point on first starting with what you know, what you have, and then building from there. Um, There's and, you know, we, in the capabilities, uh, you know, building work that we do, helping companies stand the stuff up. And we do a lot of uh, education and enablement, you know, helping companies figure out what does this all mean? How do we fit? And uh, most of the time, right, we start small and then help the companies kind of grow over time. Um, in terms of their you know, their capabilities. But one of the things that we look at is one of our greatest successes was probably one of our least profitable, shortest engagements ever, is it went into a major insurance company uh, based in Alabama. And we did a three-day education program with their uh, you know business process team. And they basically got all the documentation from us. How do we do it? How do you stand it up? What is the journey map? How does it tie into systems? You know, they asked all the right questions. They had a team of about 20 people go through the entire uh, education program. Then they said, thank you very much. We got it. <laughs> and they did. They, you know, check in with them every year or so, and they're just accelerating and growing like crazy. Um, wow. And th- out of a three-day session? That's out of a three-day session. But the right people in the room, existing team, yeah. the, the CEO said, yep, this is important. You go figure out how to do it. Rather than, yep, this is important. We're going to stand up a new, a new yeah. you know, a silo of some sort to make it happen. Very, very cool. I love that story. And by the way, the training must have been amazing if uh, 20, 25 people got it after three days. Because it's not, you know, you're not splitting an atom, but it's also not, you know, you're not pulling together like big Lego blocks either. But it's the, I mean, when you think about that, it's, it's any kind of education. You need to communicate the concepts. You need to educate on skills. And you need to provide them a framework within which to test those skills so they can actually apply them in real life. And so as we went through that process, our typical thing is, you know, we'll oftentimes be the ones who are helping them to, you know, double check their skills. And they had internal uh, group that actually did a lot of that already within their business process team. And they said, okay, just make sure you give us the tools and tell us what we need to do. And, you know, a big investment of time. Uh, yeah, sure. Know, but they followed through. It's not just three days. Thank you very much. We got it nailed. So that's the. <laughs> I've heard that one before myself. That's why I was, <laughs> I was like, yeah, where is this no, story no, going? <laughs> Yeah, you have to follow through, oddly. <laughs> Speaking of sort of, you know, when you look at those sort of eight core tenants that you all have, where do you see companies 
fall down the most? Or like, where do you think sort of the biggest roadblocks are within those core eight tenants? Yeah, I think it's less within them than across them. So I kind of you know, broke it up into two buckets. One is what are the capabilities you need to have to you know, develop uh, great experiences? And the other is what are the capabilities you have to have to actually deliver them? And a lot of CX teams spend a lot of time in you know, understanding the strategy, whether it's at a macro or micro level, figuring out the persona models, understanding the wants and needs, finding pain points, and then designing experiences to you know, address those pain points. And that's a pretty typical, uh, in my experience, you know, foundational CX uh, function. You need to be able to, you need to be good at figuring out how to do that. But to the other point we're, we're talking about just a couple moments ago, if you can't figure out how to drive that across the organization, if you can't bring others along with you, that's the failure point. And it's, this is, you know, you've, I'm sure, seen this hundreds of times. It's the, the way that businesses are historically structured, they're organized around products or channels or right business lines, whatever that might be. You have to really change the way that the organization looks at interacting with customers. Yeah. And, you know, and again, it's pretty typical that inside out versus outside in. What is the journey that our customers wish to traverse rather than what is the journey that we want our backward to make them traverse? Yeah. <laughs> and we'll force them to if they don't uh, <laughs> toe the line. Uh, oh, it's actually, I was at a, a friend's house last evening and there was a guy there who I know, I know a little bit. And he says, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, there's the long answer and there's a short answer. And I said, okay, what's the short answer? And I said, we help companies make more money by screwing their customers less. <laughs> it's a great short answer and a way to describe the work actually. Well, I hope folks that are listening in can steal that a little bit. When you think about that, so that's a good segue into my next question, Michael. When you think about connecting this work to real business outcomes, you know, I often, I often hear a lot of people like, oh, I want to you know, increase my NPS by two or three points, right? Or whatever that is. And I always ask why, right? Like, why is it just the score, right? And there's, there's always some answer to that. But, you know, I always try and work, or at least when I'm talking to clients, even when I was in the role, uh, myself as a you know, practitioner and leader, I always try to work from the business outcome and go backward, right? So like, you know, we want them to buy a mortgage. I've always been in financial services, right? So we want people to get a mortgage. We want people to get a credit card. We want them to open up an account somewhere. We want them some other loan. And then work backwards from there. How do you, you know, what advice do you have for folks, for our listeners, in terms of connecting the work of customer experience management? So let's call it, you know, right? Let's call it that versus, right? Yep. You have no control over the customer experience. Two actual business outcomes. Yeah, so... Interestingly, most mature CX teams that we work with, they get it. They're focused on it. They're not just looking at, you know, the top line NPS. Now, I, I'm not going to, you know, minimize and I'm definitely not going to get into the NPS religious conversation. That's a whole different show, man. <laughs> That's a whole, I'll have whole you, different. I'm happy to have you on again and we can talk about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, I, I have opinions on almost everything. You can't be in this role and as long as we have and not oh, have yeah, opinions. For sure. right? But that being said, the measurement is critical. And when we work with organizations that are trying to kind of crack the ROI nut, it's like, there's no other reason to do this stuff. It, you know, actually, you know, funny story, uh, the CEO of a good sized regional credit union in Arizona, I was meeting with him and his board of directors and we're kind of making recommendations for you know, what should their strategy be? How do they stand it up? What does that look like? 
And one of the directors said, well, what does this all cost? And I said, well, how much you want to spend? And everyone starts laughing. I said, the reality is I've never had a CEO give me a blank check to help them improve customer experience. And I went on to continue answering the question. About 10 minutes later, uh, the CEO secretary came out, handed him something. He wrote something on, handed it to me, and it was a blank check. And I said, this in front of the board of directors. I said, this is great. I said, but Dave, you didn't sign it. He said, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so he said, now you can never say you've never given a blank check for CX. But the reality is that the way that you need to, or the way that, and I apologize, I, I, I tend to lapse into speaking in absolutes and now this is absolute. So just <laughs> as a, as a good. warning. But if you begin with measuring, and we think about it and we talk about it as essentially a, a metrics architecture. And starting at you know, visualize, you know, four uh, boxes stacked on one another. That bottom box is your systems, right? Your telemetry data, your customer data, you know, how often customers hit your website, how long it takes to answer their calls, et cetera, et cetera. So you as an organization have the ability to measure all the stuff that you do to your customers. So the next question is across journeys, journey stages, you know, relationship all up. How do the things that you do as a company affect the way that your customers feel? So NPS kind of fits into that bucket. It's a relationship metric. You know, CSAT, customer effort score, pick your CXI, right? Pick, pick your uh, multi-letter score and insert here. But the reality is the things that you do as a company make your customers feel certain ways, and that is measurable. It's measurable through you know, direct interactions. It's also measurable through, you know, whether you're you know, doing, you know, natural language processing, whether you're all, all of the kinds of things that we can do now with AI and ML, as well as direct responses from customers, we can learn what they tell us they believe, and we can learn what they actually say about that. We're not asking direct question, how'd you feel? So starting with your data, what you do to customers, how that makes customers feel, then it flips back into the organization's bucket again, right? If you know your customers feel these ways, what do your customers do when they feel these ways? In these journeys, how do they behave? And behaviors are ultimately measurable. Because you can tell, well, they spent more, they spent less. We've never seen them again. <laughs> they came back five yeah. times last week, right? Or whatever it might be. And those behaviors drive business results. So if we know that more customers leaving is bad for our top and bottom line, we need to kind of drill back down and figure out what are the key points that we're you know, doing? What are the things we're doing to our customers that are making them leave? Because we know when they leave, we make less money. And all of those things are easily measurable. What's a challenge, though, is actually building that architecture out and taking action on it once you understand what the you know, cause and effect relationships are. But if you're able, even on a very, you can take a single journey and look at a single journey stage, or even a single set of touch points and kind of work your way back up to the top and say, if we do this more, this business metric is going to you know, decrease or increase. So it's a long, potentially analytical answer to your question. But I say that because there's no executive that I've worked with. And I've worked with many executives and lots of big organizations and mid-sized and smaller ones as well. They want to understand, if I'm investing in this CX thing, what do I get out of it? And it is provable and it's consistently provable. But you can't do it unless you're actually measuring what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, you can take an anecdote from other companies maybe you've worked with and seen the RII that they've created you know, through the work. But at the end of the day, each company is going to be different too. 
Michael, I think about the future a lot. I'm not sure about you, but if, if, since I was a kid, I thought about the future a lot and would try and predict stuff. And the one thing that I always think about in our space is where, one, like where is this kind of work headed? And then number two is where is the technology headed to? I'd love to get your thoughts and opinion on that. And, and I'm sure that's something that you've probably had those conversations once or twice. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's something we think about a lot. Um, and as with, you know, technology in most fields, whether it's, you know, consumer, B2B, whatever that might be, technology is moving at a pace faster than the ability of organizations or individuals and organizations to understand it, adapt to it, or, and leverage it appropriately. But I think we're seeing early indicators of some of those things. And, you know, journey orchestration, journey optimization is just yeah. one example. We see experiences moving towards, I'll just call it faster, faster, better. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the tech. It's the data that enables the tech. So you might have, you know, multiple different technologies. But as we're looking at how long iPhone's been out, what, 12 years now, something like that, 14 years, I'm not even sure. I, it hasn't been I that think long. it's 15 it like years. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of when it started. We're leaving our, you know, that in the internet, we're leaving our digital, uh, you know, data trails uh, scattered across the globe. But the more organizations can take that information about customers and use that to serve customers better, that's where I see technology going. When I say serving customers better, it means faster. It means with more relevant, uh, more proactive experiences. It means figuring out, you know, in near real time, back to the speed question, you know, if you're going to be optimizing or orchestrating journeys, the ability to actually say, and I say say parenthetically because right, it's all happening in the in the background, you know, bits and bytes. But if a customer does this thing, and then this thing, and then this thing, our data tells us that these three things are the next things, that next best offer, right? And so as organizations become more mature in CX technology, we see that the technology is going to move increasingly towards the ability to use data to serve customers better, um, if I was to summarize it. Yeah, that's awesome. I So one plus one on everything that you just said, you know, I often think of the future customer experience leader as, as personifying four archetypes. One is the technologist, two is the futurist, three is the data architect, and four is the practitioner. Data is becoming such an important part of the work that we do every day. Data and automation generally um, that you can't get out of. Uh, it, it's no longer enough just to be a practitioner, so to speak. You really need to bring on a completely different skill set. Or as a practitioner, that. you need to be able to build teams, Yeah, right, which we see a lot of. Um, yeah. It's like, okay, I know I can't do this alone. What is it that I am? You know, and how do I move away from more traditional you know, waterfall type data architectures to data architecture that allows us to, oh, we just bought a new company and they've got 48 databases. How do you just take all that, suck it in and drop it into a data lake? You know, things like knowledge graphs uh, and you know, more sophisticated data management techniques that make it easier to get at the meat of the data that don't require as sophisticated, or maybe sophisticated is the wrong word, that don't lean on traditional architectures. Because to your point, the data is, and that's the heart of experience at least that's where i see it that's where i see it going you can't deliver great experiences if you don't have the right data and do the right things with it yeah i was reading something adobe put out not too long ago and i personally think i for me like everybody has data right there's not it's not like you have a shortage of data it's really like how do you work with that and what do you do with it and in that report it was fascinating to me that almost it was like 87 percent. it was so high 
So that number really sticks in my head. But 87% of marketers admitted in this survey that data is the single most underutilized capability in their organization, which I think is just a staggeringly high number. Um, Does not surprise me at all. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Sadly, uh, 100%. Given our, your, your comment around NPS and our, uh, my comment as well, Michael, I ask every guest to ask me a question that I'm going to ask of my next guest. And so this is this was not staged anyway. Um, I just want my <laughs> listeners to, to, to be aware of that. Uh-oh. Your question actually comes from Fred Reicheld. Okay. I had the pleasure of interviewing Fred two weeks ago. And his question to you is, don't worry, it's not an MPS question. <laughs> he, his question was, what company or brand have you recommended to a friend and why? What was it about the experience that enriched your life and how did it make you feel? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of positive experiences with brands that I have. I mean, human nature, and we've all seen the stats that we tend to remember negative experiences at an exponentially greater rate yeah. than remember positive experiences. That being said, though, one of my, uh, my favorite kind of recommend brands is probably REI. And there's a number of pieces that there's not necessarily a, a strong emotional connection to it. It's like, you know, I don't feel wonderful about it, but I feel pretty darn good. And it's because, you know, they consistently source the kinds of products that I use. Their sales folks are actually, they're not, they don't act like sales folks, right? It's like bumping into some dude in a campground or in the backcountry and saying, here's what I'm trying to do. And, and they know, right? They're well-educated, they're personable, they don't push. And uh, they absolutely understand me as a customer. You know, part of it's my buying history, part of it's the way that I, you know, the questions that I ask and the kinds of things that I buy. But I think ultimately when I think about positive experiences, it's because brands show in many different ways, whether it's, you know, digital or in person or in the physical environment, that they understand me and that they care about me. Right? And so that that knowledge that a brand cares about me, not necessarily, you know, me, Michael, and, you know, my existential uh, mental health, but, you know, do, do they get me in the context of my interactions with that brand? In RAI, the answer is a resounding yes. Yeah. Once again, that's how they make you feel. I'm going to now turn the table over to you. What question would you like me to ask my next guest? Big topic, and this is uh, around data, right? Uh, or at least it's data enables this, is the abilities of brands to be more relevant to their customers and be more proactive. And I recognize those are slightly different things, but we often see them linked together in conversations with, uh, with leadership teams. So I'd, I'd probably ask a couple questions related to that. The first one would be, you know, can you point to a brand experience that really did a good job being relevant to you and being proactive at helping you understand you know, or, or at giving you what you needed? Proactive, of course, being in many cases, giving you what you need before maybe you know you need it, or at least very close to that. Yep. And I'm not talking about the uh, Google ads that, you know, after you've had a conversation about renting a speedboat, <laughs> the, <creepy. laughs> the, the ads show up, uh, which kind of brings me to the second, the second part of that question is, you know, if you've got a mental example of a brand that did a great job being proactive and relevant, what about an example of one that tried and failed, right? That, that creepy factor, because mm-hmm. we've all seen it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the, that's a interesting conversation topic when I sit with, uh, 
you know, leadership teams and actually a conversation I had earlier this week in, in Chicago, and it was, there's a pretty funny uh, answer. So I'd be curious to know the kind of answers you get on that one. Oh, now I'm really, now I've got to ask, I can't wait to ask that question. Thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for asking that. Michael, one last question before I let you go for today. And thank you again for, this has been a great conversation. Where do you go for inspiration? Where, what fills up your tires? No, oh, out in the woods or on the water. Yeah, I mountain bike, I hike, I water ski, I boat, uh, ski, right? So as, anytime I'm off the grid, I'm pretty happy. So yeah, that's that's my church, as my kids say. There you go. Well, hopefully you get opportunities to do that more often than not. So, hey, this has been a fantastic conversation. Truly appreciate you coming on the show and just uh, sharing some really just like a wealth of knowledge. I love the, the four box um, kind of framework, the measurement framework that you mentioned as well. And uh, it's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit too. And uh, you know, I'm glad that our paths have crossed. So thanks for coming on the show. Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you. And I'm going to tune in and, and see what your next guest says about my, uh, my, my two questions. <laughs> so. you, I'll let you know when it's coming up. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Have a wonderful day. And thank you again. Thanks a lot. All right, everybody. Great show for you this week. Michael Henshaw, Hempcorp CX. We're out. Talk to you soon, Thanks everyone. for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.